welcome to Mindfulness of Doom, a weekly podcast about life, peaceful living, and existential dread. You're not lost, everyone's faking it, and the purpose of life is, uh, enjoy the show. And that was a, that was a pretty difficult thing to digest. Um, and being in Germany, it's... It's a little bit different when you hear about something versus when you're there living it or hearing about it from all the people around you. Uh, this person was a very close person in our community, a uh, very strong leadership figure in our community. And we're offering this Instagram live call as an opportunity for those who knew him and even those who didn't uh, to share their experiences either with him or about loss and death. And how do you cope with something like that that happens in your life? So in just a few moments, we'll have meditation teacher Corey Hardiker joining us on the call. Music for you. I know you're here. If you want to join me on the call, you're welcome to chime in. We haven't met yet, at least like this. So uh, this could be an opportunity for us to meet. It's interesting. It's a somber occasion. And an occasion is still an occasion. So for those of you here, we'll take a few moments of silence in Gonzalo's name. Hey, Ravi, welcome. Welcome to the call. How are you today? I'm so glad that you can make it. In the meantime, if you have any questions or anything that you want to ask me, as long as we're all here, you're welcome to type whatever you'd like to in the chat. And if it's relevant to loss or death or moving on from an impactful transition in your life or moving forward in any sort of situation in your life, I'm happy to discuss that with you. Ah, music for you. Is it about meditation? And it can be about meditation. Not necessarily. Uh, meditation is one aspect of, of what Corey and I do teach, and it is part of our, our daily lives in some way. It's an extremely helpful practice in a lot of ways. And I think more importantly is, um, is the term mindfulness, the notion that we can use our attention skillfully in a way that if you look around, you don't see most people using their attention the way that they could or way that there's potential for. So we'll be discussing mindfulness most likely in the context of death and loss and life transitions and how that tool in particular can be of service to you in a difficult time. And one example of that I can think of is, you know, suppose you have somebody who's really important to you in your life and they, they pass away or you lose them to an accident. It's helpful to know where to direct your attention because in times like that, we can feel all sorts of different kinds of emotions. Um, we tend to label them as negative emotions, things like sadness, anger, remorse, resentment, um, all of these these types of negative emotions come up. Hey, Corey Dharma's here. 
these types of emotions come up when we're faced with challenges and many people will turn their attention away from those emotions because they feel so uncomfortable. But if you look at emotions as energy moving through the body, if you avoid them or try to hold them back, they get stuck in the body and that causes all sorts of problems. And so when you're feeling sadness, or you're feeling anger or resentment or regret, it doesn't seem like it in the moment, but it's a really a good idea to direct your attention deliberately toward those emotions if you feel comfortable enough to face them and feel them. And emotions, like everything else, are temporary. They come and then they pass. So it's a little bit like ripping the Band-Aid off of a wound. Like when you need to change your bandages, you know that you're going to have to take off the Band-Aid eventually and it's stuck to all those little hairs on your forearm. Ah, I hate that. But you're going to have to do it, so you do it. And you feel the pain and then the pain is over in just a few seconds. And then you dress the wound and you tend to it. We'll discuss mindfulness maybe a little bit in that context. We've got Corey Dharma here. Let me, um, let me wave back to you. Hey, Corey. Dude, you can jump on anytime. Uh, let me see if I can send you a, a request to join the call. Well, if that works, go live with Corey Dharma. Let's try that. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Good. We're just uh, we're chatting in the waiting area with a couple of folks. Uh, music for you is on, and MVP.Marcy just joined. Hello. Welcome. Awesome. Yeah. Hello, hello, Hi, hello. thanks for waving. So we were just, um, we were chatting about, somebody asked, is, is this talk going to be about meditation? And I, my answer was, maybe, like that might come up. It may be more in the realm of mindfulness in general and how we direct our attention to, to be with the emotions that come up around death or loss. Yes, dealing with grief yeah. is, uh, is actually a meditative practice. Uh-huh. It's something that not a lot of people do, but some Eastern philosophical worldviews such as Buddhism uh, have death meditation built into their structure. A lot of uh, monks meditate on it. And it's something that not a lot of Westerners do, but it's entirely possible for us to kind of take out the bits that are useful for us and turn it back in on itself and say, hey, everyone deals with grief. Everyone deals with loss. How can we use these tools to to turn them in on ourselves and say, hey, look, when when something happens, how do I deal with this? And being aware of it, being conscious of it, being mindful of it is is step one. It's always step yeah, that, that I think that's a really solid intro uh, while we're here. So MVP Marcy is on the call. German Kenya Sausages just joined the call. I don't know if that's Sarah using that account or if that's actually Sarah's dad joining the call. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. Uh, Thomas, if that's you, welcome to the call. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, so I, I can relate to what you just shared, that the practice of turning the attention inward uh, toward ourselves using death meditation in Judaism, in the heritage of Judaism, there's a similar practice that when somebody passes away, you do what's called sitting shiva, which is a practice that for seven days you sit in your house. Uh, you sit very low to the ground. The, the stereotypical seat is usually a box, like a wooden box or some sort that's low to the ground, uh, which is said to be a very humbling experience that you're sort of being with the level of the dead. At that point, and then you remove all of the mirrors from your immediate surroundings so that you're not reflecting externally, but you're reflecting internally. And throughout that period, I actually just heard about this yesterday. Really? Yeah. And look at you getting your Jewish <laughs> um, education on. Which is interesting because I, I was going to bring it up anyway, 
Not, oh, not right about on. The, the seated thing, but where I heard it. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but one of my favorite podcast shows is a show called Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. She's a British comedian. And uh, her dad died when she was 15, and now she makes a, a weekly podcast about death, hmm. and she gets comedians on to talk about losing people that were close to them, not just their parents, but mostly people talk about their parents. And it's kind of like this really like honest conversation where comedians open up about like, hey, this is what I went through, and then they end up talking about the little funny things that happen around the the admin you have to do when somebody passes away, or you know the weird little things that happen, or and it is a phenomenal show. I highly recommend it to anybody. Griefcast is amazing. That that's like my number one guest I want to have on the show. Uh, is get Carrie Ann Lloyd on the show. That would be fantastic. Yeah, let's let's get her on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. MVP Marcy has a, a question. So you guys use techniques from multiple religions uh, with a, a pair of peering eyes looking to the left. Judaism, Buddhism, and there's probably an etc. I guess I could answer that as like a yes and no. I'm not known to practice any formal religion. My my background is in Judaism. I, I grew up as an American Jew in the Reconstructionist movement, and so I, I have a, a foundation of Jewish education, if you could even call it that, from from the U.S. And I'm not very attached to it. As you'll, if if you hear me speak about it, you can probably tell that I'm I'm fairly non sectarian when it comes to religion. However, I do find that there is a load of practical wisdom embedded in every religious tradition that if you can look past the dogma and the the specific religious tenets you can glean a lot of really practical tools from the teachings and that's ultimately i believe the purpose of religion everything that was left to us over thousands of years and that's been passed on has been wrapped up in story so that we'll remember the wisdom but the the wisdom nuggets themselves are can be extrapolated from the stories that you find in scripture cool but we got a thumbs up I'm, I've got, yeah, that's the subtitle for the episode <laughs> which, wisdom nuggets wisdom nuggets yeah um i'm glad that answered your question uh, and, and I know that a lot of people feel the same way, particularly in the millennial generation, which we happen to fall in, right? There's, there tends to be a lot of disillusionment with religion. We're brought up a certain way, and it's almost as though we're forced by our parents or our families or our communities to participate in some religious tradition, not necessarily understanding it to its fullest extent. And in my case, taking a lot of it quite literally as were children, like I used to think of God as a big gray bearded man in the sky and he was puppeteering everything on the planet, right? But that's not actually what happens. However, you can use that as a metaphor for the deeper metaphysical and philosophical aspects of existence. Like is is there really some somebody pulling the strings? Well, maybe it's not a person, but you could say that there is some intelligence and that's really the, the best way that I can think of to summarize it, that there's some universal intelligence that's not even running the show, but just allowing all of this to be as it is. Like if you think it's it's a miracle that I have this and this all came together the way that it did, when it's really just, it's a bunch of atoms, which are particles, which are just congealed energy that decided to cooperate in a very particular way to create this manifestation of how I'm showing up for you. And that's the best I can do to explain it. Hey, Conscious Guy 5, welcome to the call. 
I, I also think it's interesting to think about that question of religion in its sense of like, I think it's its ultimate reason for existing. I think it's why it started to begin with was people being afraid of the unknown. They're, you know, sitting around a campfire at night. There's a storm off in the distance, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 years ago. They don't understand what lightning is or they don't understand what death is or, you know, they don't, I mean, they, they understand it physically, but don't have, you know, they, when they ask the question, why, uh, nobody has an answer. And then maybe it's the old wise guy telling stories around the fire that says, oh, don't worry about it. And everyone but just thinks that he wants attention, right? Like it's an egoic thing that he's the one that just tells stories. No, I mean, it's, it's like, it's how we comfort each other. And it's how we find solace in loss is that there are people there to be with, to share stories with. And sometimes having a a structure Mm. in which to hold your worldview and say, oh, when we die, we go to another place. Or, oh, when we die, we become the stars. Or, oh, when we die, our bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass. (laughs) You know, there is some way for us to deal simply by having some structure. But I think the important thing to note is that the structure is just the scaffolding. It's just the the delivery vehicle for the message. In the same way that do you believe in God is a very boring question. It's like it's meaningless to the listener or to the asker of the question to have the person say yes or no. The real interesting question is when you ask, is religion a positive force for good in the world? Yeah. How does our religion help us add value to the human experience? And that is the real message of most religions is do your people be good. Right. When this happens, don't worry. It's okay. Don't be afraid. There's something here for you. And they're comforting. And I think that is the ultimate base level of religion. And obviously, that's a drastic oversimplification of religious structure. However, yeah. this is what causes us to turn to it is loss. It's grief. It's fear of the unknown. And when you have somebody there to help you by saying, by holding your hand and saying, hey, this is this is what we believe. And like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll believe that too. And that's great. And I think that it would be nice to think that the reasons that we have religion are, are, are more positive, but I really think it's, it is there to cope with negativity because life is hard. And if you're a Buddhist or believe in Buddhist philosophies, they'll say right up front, right on the top of the ticket, life is suffering, the first noble truth. And it's to say that there is negative suffering, there is positive suffering, all of it to exist means you have to struggle, you have to suffer. And how do you deal with that? Well, there's some other steps. Yeah. And then this, you can do the same thing with uh, Judaism, saying there are there, there are steps here. There is a belief structure to follow and to say how to deal with your grief, yeah. how to deal with your pain and say, OK, well, there's community. It's, a, it's as though every tradition has come up with a manual for how to do your life in the context of the unknown. And I, I think the way that you're looking at this is, it is about comfort in the face of uncertainty. The human mind dwells in fear when there is uncertainty. Most of the time, uncertainty is one of the greatest drivers of fear. It's almost as big a fear as stage fright, which is like the number one leading fear worldwide, I think, is the fear of public speaking, right? So uncertainty is like a step below that, but it's huge. 
Yeah. Number one fear, speaking in public. Number two is death. Are we doing both of those right now? (laughs) Jerry Seinfeld once famously said, which means that if you're at a funeral, you would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Again, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, a a very famous Jewish scholar. Yeah. So so religion, when we tend to oversimplify it and take it literally, yes, it, it can provide comfort by giving the rational mind something to hold on to as like, okay, this is the story of what happens next. And at the same time, religion, the, the purpose of it is, it you could argue, is not necessarily that because what that's doing is placating fear. Really, religion can be used as a window into the ultimate universal truth. And every religion has a prescription or a, a lens through which to view reality, to get certain truths or to get to the that one ultimate truth whatever that is and you and I don't know exactly what that is and we'll probably never know what that is until long after we die and we live however many lives we live and we eventually get there to god if if you believe that there is a god to get to hold on I just want, I want to acknowledge ad fractals on the call english in your pajamas join the call and MVP Marcy um, had a, a follow-up question, which is, so it's about science and harmony with religion. And it, just in response to that, uh, that question, science is yet another way of just being inquisitive about reality, just as religion is a way of passing on stories that point to the ultimate truth of reality. The, the science versus religion argument, I don't necessarily believe is an argument. I don't think it's, a, it's an either or, or that you have to have a balance between the two. Science is just a methodology in which you inquire about the, the physical world around you. And the deeper you get into it, the more you find out that, well, with our basic observational skills, right, my hearing, sight, uh, touch, taste, smell, etc., Hey, English. Um, you can only get so far. And yes, we can build these instruments to look at certain things, read certain wavelengths of light and pick up sounds and energies and all of that. But they can only be so sensitive. And there's so much about this reality that we cannot measure. There's only so far a microscope can peer into or magnify the atomic particle and the subparticle. I mean, I, I, th- I think that science is, de- is, is more a, it's a methodology, it's a way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, and religion is not a way of thinking so much as it is a perspective mm-hmm. on the universe, on your existence. I don't think, those things are not mutually exclusive. Right. They can exist together. But, you know, most of the time when there's that, that argument, it, it gets a little off on the wrong track, like like I said, like I mentioned earlier, because human beings have the it, tendency to turn these things into belief systems and then try to be right about them. Yeah. Neither of these things are beliefs. Better to have yeah. ideas. So, I, Brian, I want to ask you to to kind of um, narrow the conversation a little bit. Is that you know we we opened by talking about grief and uh, religions and the fact that there are many different structures available to deal with grief. Let's get a little more specific. So, I mean, obviously, you can't go through life without having something happen to you, you know, where you have to deal with grief in some way. For every person that goes through this, there is there's you know, it's a unique experience. And when you share that with somebody, it, it can be a little bit liberating to kind of say, hey, you're not alone. And and it isn't a comparative thing. It isn't to say, oh, I lost this person who was close to me and you lost this person who was less close to you. And, you know, you know, we're not doing that here simply to, to share. Yeah. And, you know, at least in my life, I've lost several friends 
in varying circumstances that have it helped. It was I hate to use the word interesting, but but it was it was interesting how each one affected me in a different way and how other people around me reacted to the situation and said, this is this is how they grieve. And, you know, and each time I kind of notice and say, oh, well, how should I deal with grief? You know, you know, and then when I see other people and I go. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it like that. That's, that's messy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then other ways are like, oh, that guy, that guy, that guy didn't even shed a tear, but like, you can tell inside he's just falling apart at the seams and it's just like, okay, well, good for you for putting on a strong face. I'll, I'll, I'll remember that, yeah. but maybe you're going to have a heart attack a little bit sooner for not letting that grief out, you know? So it's interesting that you bring this up. And for those of you listening right now, you've probably noticed that different people deal with grief in different ways and you've also probably noticed that you deal with grief in your own ways. And um, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's, a, there are some people out there that it might be a fun thing for, but it's, I want to say it's never a fun thing to lose somebody or to go through a period of grief. And no, but it's important to go yeah, through. It is, it is very important to go through. It's a, it is a part of life. If life is considered a series of transitional moments, the ultimate transitions into and out of life are just as valid as every other transition that we experience. They're just as valid as every breath we take, every transition from in-breath to out-breath, right? Nothing is constant. Everything is ever-changing, including the the status of our vitality. We've got uh, Myrtle Smith joined the call. Hey, thanks for joining. And um, Ad Fractal's name is Andre. Thanks for letting us know, dude. Yeah. Also, uh, English in your pajamas, man. It's good to see you guys online again. I haven't seen y'all in a while. So Corey and I put this call together just to narrow down the, the specifics of this conversation. We wanted to open this call because we had uh, a, a very special and close person to us pass away in the last week and a half. He fell victim to gun violence literally one block from his apartment in Miami. And uh, I'm living in Germany right now. I found about I found out about this through Facebook, as one does, which is, is sort of a, a weird phenomenon these days. But this is how I found out about it. And then I start getting text messages. Hey, did you hear about Gonzalo? So our friend Gonzalo, uh, just to honor his life, what an amazing, kind and generous individual was so involved in our community leadership, in civic engagement and was a, a frequent guest at my home when we would have our monthly tea gatherings. And he made an effort to come to, I think he was at almost every single gathering. And there were times this guy, he would show up, the thing would end at 11, he would show up at like 1045, just, <laughs> yeah. just to be there, right? Just to say he was there. And he just wanted to be involved with everybody. And we, we don't have a full understanding of exactly what happened. The only thing that I've seen personally, and I shared this before, Corey, before you jumped on the call, I had a few moments um, where I was setting up the context for the call. The only visuals that I have were news reports on the television, basically the aerial footage of his body covered on the side of the road with the, with the, the yellow caution tape and the, the police cars around, and that, that was it. That's what we see, and it's so interesting that you know, for those of you who still watch the news and you see these kinds of images day in and day out, it can be very easy to be desensitized to these kinds of images. And the one time you find that it's somebody that you knew, it hits you in a different way. That that was my experience of it. And um, at first, I didn't know how to feel or what to feel. 
because it, it, it just, it occurred to me intellectually as information coming in. Okay. Wow. That just happened. Did that really happen? And then you go through that stage of denial and questioning, wait, did, is, is that real? Is that, was that, is that even possible? Can somebody? Yeah. I, I went through the same thing in a very quick period of time because I found out when a friend of mine texted me hmm. and said, Hey, I, did you see this? Sent me the, the link to the police Twitter account. Yeah. Where they're saying Gonzalo was shot and killed and we're looking for information. And then there was a picture of him. But it was like it was a picture I had not seen before. Yeah. And it almost it was not like super recent. It almost didn't look like him. Like yeah. you see it and you're like, that's like a generic yeah. guy on the TV. Like you may not have even known him. That's exactly what I thought. Wait, is that? And I saw Gonzalo and, yeah. and is that? Is that him? And it's so amazing how far removed the the news report is from like, I don't, I can't really say the real Gonzalo, but like the Gonzalo as I knew him. Right, right. It was not confirmed for me until I went to his Facebook page and saw people posting, hey man, we'll miss you. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, this is real. That's so bizarre that Facebook is now the delivery method for telling people that you've lost a friend. Yeah. It's become a place for friends and it's a now a place to lose friends. It's weird to think do they have a mechanism for for dealing with this and I don't think they do. I mean, I still think they, they- actually do. I have this set up actually. So side quest on your Facebook account for those of you who are interested, you can set up what do you call it? Your estate, your your like your backup plan, you basically, it, uh, if enough people report you dead, then you set up a, a hierarchy of, of backup people who, that, who can then access your account and do what they need to with your digital assets. And it just occurred to me that I need to change that because I think my ex-wife is one of those people. I, I still think that she, she would handle your affairs effectively. But- I hope so. But, but that might not be a burden that you want to have her to have to deal yeah, with. Yeah, I certainly want to, I would not want to give her that. Yeah, that's, that's not a great present. No, no. So thanks for the reminder. So it, it's it's weird to me because, like, Gonzalo was... I think of him as one of my roommates because I lived with him for about a week, yeah. which isn't a long time. You know, when I left Miami, my lease ended before I was leaving. I had about a month where I, I didn't have a place to stay um, before I moved, so I was kind of bumming around couch to couch. He graciously allowed me to stay with him for about, you know, five days or so, you know, so I I had been to his apartment, lived in it for a small period of time. I I have a very visual sense of what might have gone down because I I know those streets. I know exactly where it is. It's two blocks from Churchill's. Yeah. Uh, It's in Little Haiti, which is not, it's not a great neighborhood in the sense that it's, you, you feel safe walking around, but when you when you're there long enough, you start to get comfortable with it. Like, oh, I mean, there's just people, you know, like it's not like you see people running around mugging each other. It's just it's a poorer neighborhood. And like there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it could be better if we help people who are there. But it's got reputation of, hey, it's a cheap place to live, but it's a dangerous place to live. When I see that and I go there and the first time I'm there, I'm kind of nervous and worried but you spend time there and then that nervousness kind of goes away and like you still have 
you start to get comfortable with it. And you're like, oh, this isn't this isn't bad. This isn't a big thing. And then when you hear news that your friend was killed there, it makes you think, oh, I was there. Like it, it could have been me. It could have been my other friends. It could have been anybody. But it, it happened to him. Why? Why him? He was like the nicest freaking guy. Yeah. Like you start creating scenarios in your head of like, oh, man, well, what if what if it was just a, a, a mugging gone wrong? And it's like, what would he do in that situation? And I think to myself, like, I don't imagine him being scared. Yeah, he never struck me as as the kind of person who would freeze under pressure. And at the same time, you like you never really know because we we all as human beings have the capacity to be any sort of way given certain circumstances. I mean, I imagine him. He's very high minded. Yeah, he would have. Well, what do you want? Do you you know what can I help you with? Like yeah, he, like he would have immediately. How can I help? Like how can I help person. you? Yeah, it's sad that we'll never really know exactly what happened. I think it's so amazing that he was so generous to have you in his home for a week, and and that you did get to know him there. And I, I think back to a, a couple years ago, he offered to host a tea at the cottage gathering uh, at his home, and he opened up the the whole backyard area for us to sit down. It was I think it was like a January or a February evening. It was really cool out night. And it was it was such an amazing evening. We sat on under the stars, and we had yeah. um, we lit candles, and we um, we had a little portable grill. People were passing around snacks. Oh. Yeah, it was it was a really really cool uh, event that he held at his place, and he he opened up such a welcoming space for everyone. Uh, and that was that was something that God bless him, and he just had this wonderful ability to just have people feel comfortable in his presence. He was so humble about everything. And um, I just I really appreciated that. You know, I think the standard response nowadays when you lose a friend is you hear a lot of the same phrases. You know, you hear people say, oh, my thoughts and prayers are with you. You see people literally comment on their Facebook in the same way that people leave messages on a fence, you know, and there's flowers. So it's like a, a, a makeshift memorial. Right. People want to communicate. You know, I think that's beautiful. I think that's a healthy way to grieve, to send messages out. Yeah. Um, and any kind of message, no matter how large or small, right? It can be something as simple as a, a, a digital comment to hosting a, a service or building a monument, right? All, any, right? any sort of effort that can be made in honor of somebody for the life that they had lived, no matter who they are and no matter what they right. did, I think is, is really important. It's interesting to think about it as like, okay, is that message for the person who passed? And it it, it may be directed to them, yeah. but I think as a coping tool for the person left behind, that it's helpful. It's helpful for them to to be able to release and, and discuss this with the world and say, hey, I needed to put this out there. Yeah. An idea that was floated uh, on um, the Griefcast podcast was... One of the comedians who had lost their parents recently had said that during the funeral, the pastor who was running the service said, I, I actually have some letters that the deceased left for us to for me to read out. And it was the first time it was part of their wishes. Mm. It was the first time the people there knew that they were going to be hearing these letters. And it's the person had cancer or something. They, they had time to prepare and, and wrote out these letters. So during the funeral, they, they were read out. 
And it was just this tremendously impactful thing. It's a, it's a great way to say goodbye. If you knew you were going to pass and you had some of your closest friends around, what would you say to them before you go? You know, and then having that written out was just a brilliant way of of saying goodbye. But not everybody gets that chance. Um, You know, obviously, in this case, it it was an act of violence and it was sudden and it wasn't I mean, it wasn't premeditated. It wasn't political. It wasn't like it was just it's random. And that's kind of one of the scariest things for people is to think it could happen any time. Is that really the message we take away from this? It's like, no, life eats life and the world is dangerous. Regardless of how much we attempt to keep ourselves safe, there are some people who aren't on the same page as everybody else. Yeah. However, that is not the important thing. The important thing is how little that happens, is to remember that we should not live in fear, that these things happen, however... You can't stop them altogether. But if you remember that we are living in the least violent time in human history. Which is surprising given what people see on the television these days, isn't it? Well, that's that's how television gets their viewers is they talk about be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And nothing makes the society stand up like a whole bunch of meerkats going, what's over there? (laughs) By saying, there's a tiger over there, and everybody freaks out. That is the purpose of the news, to keep you watching. You know, And so when there is that tragedy, it goes front and center on the TV. And as long as you were aware that the tragedy that is being played is being played for profit, like they're, you know, they're journalists, they're, they're giving you the news, but they choose what to put up there. And if if they're choosing their stories based on what keeps your eyeballs on it, all of those stories are be afraid of this tragedy, be afraid of that tragedy. Oh, look, this thing happened over here. And it's then you have to you have to take personal responsibility for your own eyeballs and go, yes, this was a tragedy. No, it does not deserve my all of my attention. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to make sure that I don't generalize this to make it mean that the whole world is dangerous and everything is a threat. Exactly. But when it does happen, you have to grieve in some way. There's something that I want to point out, which is uh, maybe we got sidetracked with the, the news media conversation, but maybe not. I, I think there's something that, that you said, which is like, this is not the majority case. This is the majority of us get to live and move on. And however we move on, and that brings me to the the point of gratitude, which is like, hey, I'm so thankful I'm still alive, and I got to learn from this person's experience as they transitioned out of this realm and into their next phase, wherever they go. And that's still a question that nobody's really sure exactly what the answer is, um, but we know that he's not physically here anymore. So what can I take from this experience? Uh, before I continue, I want to acknowledge Carmental is on. Shepherd Traveler. Hey, Carmen. Hey. <laughs> Shepherd Traveler has joined. How do I say this? Kabir Koli 12. I hope I didn't butcher that. Hey, welcome. And uh, Yitch Yili has joined. Dude, thank you so much. Yeah, so there's, there's gratitude for being able to continue on our mortal coil However, gratitude is like, it's kind of like a bittersweet gratitude. Like you're not sitting around at a Thanksgiving dinner and go, oh, I'm so thankful for having anything in life. Let's be so happy and joyful. It's kind of like gratitude mixed with a sense of sorrow or somberness, 
Whereas like, okay, this just happened and there's grief that's still built up. So how do we process that grief that's still welling up? And if I think about what grief feels like to me, it's a combination of sadness, something missing, some sorrow, some melancholy, where if I think about the physical sensations, there's like a a weightedness in my heart. If I could just recreate that for a moment, there's kind of like a tightness in the solar plexus a little bit and then like a a welling up or like a tightness in the throat almost as though it's pushing it's pushing water up through into into my tear ducts and when you break emotions down into these physical sensations and just kind of sit with it and let it come up as it needs to it's I don't want to say it's easy to let it process but you can process it that way by just letting it flow through you and observing it this is not the most common way that we've been taught to deal with our emotions. I think as a, as a society or culturally, depending on your background, depending on your upbringing and who your parents were and what they believed and what your teachers told you, we're told all sorts of things like boys don't cry or men don't show emotion or you shouldn't, or emotions, a sign of weakness, or, um, it's not appropriate to, to show anger or there's all these weird beliefs that are instilled upon us at a very young age by the grown-ups in our lives about how you should and shouldn't feel certain emotions. But then if I think about how emotionally intelligent these adults were around me at the time, on a scale from one to 10, they were like a negative three. So who are they to be giving me advice about how I should and shouldn't feel sadness, right? Like, Yeah, it reminds me very much of the Uh, intro to our podcast right yeah you're not lost everyone's faking it and the purpose of life is (laughs) enjoy the show there's that famous david foster wallace commencement speech this is water where he opens it by saying two young fish are swimming talking to each other Uh, an old fish swims by and says morning boys how's the water the two fish look at each other and the other one goes what the hell is water yeah That it has this idea of the wise old fish imparting wisdom about what is going on around us. However, many people attempt to portray themselves as the wise old fish, attempting to make life better, attempting to impart wisdom to uh, people around them. And, And it's something that, you know, we as podcasters, as people who have a mindfulness podcast, we as teachers... Uh, and guides, I'm keenly aware that I am not the destination. Yeah. And when we are point, when we are helping people, we're, you know, the, the metaphor is you're pointing at the mountain, you're on the path and you might be a little bit taller than the people around you. And you might see the mountain a little clearer and you're pointing, you're saying that's where we're going. But just because you're pointing doesn't necessarily mean that you are perfect or that you are where people are going. We're not saying and teachers should not say, be like me. Yeah. This- they should be highlighting the better path. And that's, you know, yeah. do as I say, not as I do. It's a common phrase. And I think it's really easy for people to get lost in, in trying to help by pretending to be better than you are. And I think that this is part of what we're doing here is saying, you know, like, look, we have a podcast about doom. You're going to die. Yeah, that's the bad news. We're all going to die. But the good news is we're all doing it together. (laughs) 
not all at the same time. You know, we right. don't have right. You know, it's not like a Kool Aid in the back. You know, we're not responsible for that, but we are. We are here to help uh, in the sense of saying, "Hey, look, you know, we grieve too." Yeah. I just want to remind the viewers, if you if you would like to join in the call and share some of your stories, I think Brian and I are going to share some stories of loss that we've encountered. Yeah, dude. By, like, by the way, like we've got we've got about 12 minutes before Instagram kicks us off the call and then we would have to do another one. Um, so I don't know if we'll we, we may schedule a follow up to do after this. Um, and maybe this is a conversation that we could continue going. As Corey mentioned, yeah, if you, if you want to chime in and join us here on the call, we can pipe you in and you can share your perspectives. In the meantime, I, I want to piggyback off of what you just shared, which is none of us are perfect and none of us know all of the answers. Um, and so as, as teachers and guides, it's our job to throw ourselves into as many real life experiences and feel them fully as possible so that we can extract wisdom from it and share it with those who haven't been there yet or who are struggling with the same thing. And nine times out of 10, what I would say to any student or, or anybody who is interested in what I have to contribute is listen to yourself. Be self-referral. Nobody knows you better than you do. So what I mean by self-referral is if you know that you're feeling something and it's really difficult for you, and you feel comfortable or you feel courageous enough that you can go into those feelings and really process them, then go for it and be kind to yourself while you're going through it and know that it's temporary. It will pass. But the important thing is go for it and listen to yourself. If you know that you are somebody who has maybe a, a smaller window of tolerance for emotional sensations. For example, if you're dealing with PTSD, this is something that I dealt with for a couple of years. With PTSD, your window of tolerance as to what you're willing to feel is a lot smaller because certain sensations will trigger you to either go into dissociation or hyperarousal, where you lose control of yourself. Also be kind with yourself and be sensitive to how far you're willing to go within your own sensations. This can be very challenging and it is extremely helpful to talk to somebody about it. I know it's it's so cliche that like if you need help, reach out or or talk to somebody or just get it off your chest, but talk to somebody because in sharing and actually putting into words and articulating what it is that you're thinking and feeling, it helps your mind. And I'm just I'm not just thinking I'm not just talking about your rational logical mind. It helps your full body mind integrate what it is that you're dealing with because you get to create it in words in a different way and feel it in a different way, not just by yourself, but with someone else who can hear you and understand you and listen so that you can feel gotten. And part of we're talking about leaving comments on a, on a Facebook wall for somebody who's deceased. It's, it isn't really for them. It's for you to just to be in community around something. There's a couple of comments that came in. Uh, Conscious Guy 5, uh, Christopher, welcome, man. Um, for a lot of men, vulnerability was ripped from us because of those suck it up, men don't cry beliefs from older generations, which created a robotic, emotionless man. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, dude. And, it, and, and I remember um, this, your story, and it's, it's absolutely true. And it, this is so prevalent across not just men, but just everybody that... Um, 
the the fear of our own emotions is this is a global health crisis. Corey Dharma has jumped off the call. Uh, however, when he comes back on, we'll, we'll get him back on. Here we go. And while we're waiting for Corey to jump on, MVP Marcy, when a friend of mine died. Hey, Corey, welcome back. Sam NY07 joined. Welcome, Sam. Uh, MVP Marcy said, when a friend of mine died two years ago, I realized how his beliefs impacted me and I tried to keep him inside me. What he said to me lives on inside me. Dude, that's, that is exactly it. It's like, what can we learn from the life experience of those who came before us and those who are no longer here? Um, that, dude, thank you so much for sharing that. Let me jump in here and, and comment. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree that one of the harshest things about losing someone you care about is that it's is that you can't reach out to them again, yeah. is that you can't yeah. communicate with them. And then you kind of replay in your mind over and over again what they said to you and the things that they meant to you and how, how it kind of affected you. And it, it it's weird, you know, because you it kind of solidifies in your head and you find importance in certain things. And I think it's important to remember message in there. So so just to tell a quick story, when I was living in Japan, I had a friend named George. He had a sun allergy. Jeez. Yeah, he was allergic to the sun. The very thing that gives you life. As I understand it, the issue is is that, you know, most people's bodies create vitamin D or is vitamin K, one of them, when, when they get sunlight. And his body was unable to produce that in the same way. And so it showed up as like a rash. Hmm. And his liver would have to deal with uh, the influx because the, there was all these chemicals created in his own body. But eventually he got bad sunstrike one day and then uh, got real sick. He was in the hospital for like two months. He ended up passing away because he had to have a liver transplant and the liver transplant went well, but he fell into a coma during the surgery. Mm. And so he, he, he didn't come out of that. It was really shocking for me because me and him were starting a band and we were we were playing music together and he was just the nicest guy. He had once said to me this thing that stuck with me for the rest of my life. You know, this is all circumstantial and, and really important to me and it won't be important to anybody else. But we were, we were meeting up for band practice. I had just come back from my Japanese swords class, swordsmanship class. And so I have literally my sword strapped across my back. And he has his guitar with him, and we're going to go play music now. He says, are you ready to kill it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, good, because you've got your sword and I've got my axe. <laughs> we were playing a cover of The Strokes. It blew my mind because every time I hear that album now, I think of him. And I can't not think of him. And it's ingrained in me how, how this, you know, that one line and then that music means so much to me because of our relationship. And it's, it's, it's interesting how those things kind of get settled in your head. And sometimes like, you know, you've got, you bring your sword, I'll bring my ax. It has no deep meaning. It's just a joke. But to me, it's like the pivotal point of our relationship of how I remember him was that joking moment and it says so much to me about who he was as a person and when you think about any other person you've lost you think about those little things and it be kind of becomes your pivot point it becomes your 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 central idea of a person yeah dude that's just that right like people live on in how we remember them and the ways that they impacted us and life becomes different because of that for us 
And we have about a minute and a half left before uh, before the end of this broadcast. I want to acknowledge Game of Prisons joins. Welcome to uh, welcome to the tail end of our call. You can watch the replay. So, by the way, this replay will be on the Inner Sensei profile for the next 24 hours, and then we'll turn this into a podcast episode. Mindfulness of Doom. Go to mindfulnessofdoom.com. Before the call kicks us off, I, I just want to acknowledge something that MVP Marcy just commented, which is turning grief into gratitude. And that, I think... For now, that is the perfect way to end this kind of conversation, which is like, there is going to be grief if you are releasing attachment to somebody in your life or something in your life in a transition, you're going to feel some stuff and it's not going to be pleasant. And at the same time, once you get through it and when it's behind you and you find that closure and you complete that chapter, you have an opportunity to generate gratitude and choose how you want to move forward. Um, And all of that is a choice. So I want to thank everyone for, for joining us on this live broadcast with Corey Dharma. Corey Dharma, do you want to do this? Do you want to do like a follow-up to this to, to keep this going? Because I have so many share stories that I could share, and I know you do too. Yeah, I mean, I think we should, I think we should continue and, and tell those, those individual stories of the different ways in which we've shared grief. I, I think that would be a great topic. Hey, everyone. So thanks for joining on... We'll call this the first part of our conversation about grief in the wake of loss and in honoring the death of Gonzalo Viscardo, who is a, such an amazingly kind soul and an astounding community leader in Miami. We plan to continue this conversation in a second and maybe even a third part of this episode. And we plan to have other people come onto the call and share their experiences as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Uh, this episode is a little bit different from how we normally do it. We're less joking around because, you know, we wanted to honor Gonzalo and then also honor anyone who's gone through grief and say, hey, look, you know, you're not alone. We're in this together. It's difficult to experience these things alone. You know, you don't need to bottle things up and deal on your own. If that's how you need to deal, that's how you need to deal. But there's also people here who are willing to talk and willing to share your stories. And we're really happy and glad that you guys joined us in the live call. And we're happy and glad for anybody who wants to reach out to us. If you want to reach out to us, you can at mindfulnessofdoom at gmail.com. If you have a question or a story you'd like to share, we'd be happy to share it on the podcast. And you can find all the replays of these episodes at mindfulnessofdoom.com. And if you like and appreciate what we do here at Mindfulness of Doom, you can support us on our Patreon page. That's www.patreon.com slash mindfulnessofdoom. You can also find us on Instagram at mindfuldoom. And now... You can find us on YouTube. Hey, Yay. YouTube. Freaking YouTube, man. Right. It's been, <laughs> it's been a long time coming, but we now have our backlog of episodes are updating every Thursday. For, for anyone who's interested, uh, they will be HD versions. <laughs> HD versions. So you can watch screenshots of some graphic that we made in HD while you listen to Mindfulness of Doom. Yes. Yes. The audio will be improved on each okay. episode as I go through. The, the first couple were just kind of um, thrown up as usual, but uh, but I'm using a new audio software and, and new editing techniques. I'm getting better all the time. That's very exciting because our first handful of episodes were cringeworthy, in my opinion. It's been a long time since we've gone back and listened to them. And, oh, and so now that I'm going back, I'm like, oh, man. And I'm listening to it like, oh. Yeah. So for those of you who have been with us since the beginning, you've watched our journey and our evolution. And I, I, I think I speak for both of us 
we really appreciate your support and that you stuck with us and that you continue to find value from what we do. This is something that we do because we love it and we care about this topic and teaching it. And we just love to share the wisdom that we get from our own lives and from the thousands and thousands of years of wisdom that has been passed down to us from the billions and billions of human beings who came before us. On that note, let's uh, let's cut the small talk and end this episode. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we will see you next time on Mindfulness of Doom. We invite you to like, subscribe, and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Have suggestions, music, or artwork for the show? Want to sponsor our podcast? Find our contact page and links to the items we talked about in this episode at www.mindfulnessofdoom.com. Become a supporter of our podcast at patreon.com slash mindfulnessofdoom and get access to exclusive content that's not on the show. This podcast is recorded in Miami, Florida. It is written, recorded, and edited by Brian Lemmerman and Corey Hardacre. Our music is provided by Pallet Town and Suitcase Music. They can be found at soundcloud.com slash town and at suitcasemusic.bandcamp.com. All poorly thought out opinions are ours. Nothing you hear in this podcast should be construed as professional medical advice. Go see a therapist, all of you. Self-discovery has no end, so you can pick any place to-